Welcome to Flashback, a podcast by the Okaloosa County Public Information Office. Get ready to dust the nostalgia off your sleeve as we talk with Okaloosa citizens who share with us how things used to be. I'm your host, Nick Tomacek. It's time to step into your imaginary DeLorean, tap your flux capacitor, and flashback. Hello and welcome to another episode of Flashback. Okaloosa County is unique in so many ways. Heck, our name Okaloosa, which means black water, is pretty unique. We have the largest Air Force base in the world land-wise. We have both gorgeous beaches and a large swath of old Florida woodlands. We have pretty much everything your outdoor adventure heart could desire, hunting, camping, the beach, scuba diving, canoeing, paddleboarding, fishing, boating, the list goes on. Another unique part of our county is the city of Laurel Hill. It incorporated in 1905, and the three-square-mile Laurel Hill is the county's oldest city. It's a quiet place, low-key in my opinion, and it has the feel of the happiness that surrounds what you might think of when you think small rural town in America. It sits just a hop and a skip away from the Alabama state line along State Road 85, and it's one place in the county that will get snow on occasion in the winter. One thing that sticks out to me, and probably many outsiders that travel through town on 85, is the mascot associated with the school. There's a sign in front of the school, or out near the school, on State Road 85 that says, Laurel Hill is the home of the hobos. When I moved here in 2005, I was both surprised and curious about this. This isn't your typical tigers, gators, wildcats kind of mascot. So why the hobos? And what is a hobo? It wasn't until I began going to basketball games and other events back then as a photographer for the local newspaper that I discovered that this is an endearing part of the town's identity. I did a little digging about the history of both the word hobo and the people that were given this label, and my history geek mind was blown almost immediately. According to the news website HowStuffWorks.com, The very first American hobos were cast off from the American Civil War of the 1860s. When the soldiers returned home, there weren't a whole lot of jobs for them to have, so a bunch of young men took to the newly built railroads to find their fortunes. During the war, the railroads were built to carry troops and equipment across the country in a short period of time, so as the railroads kept expanding, so did the culture of the hobos. The word hobo is hardly used anymore except in groups across the country that celebrate this part of American history. They work to make sure that the people that were called hobos are are not forgotten. But the name hobo is believed to be a shortened form of ho-boy, as in H-O-E, as in the garden tool. There's some argument among historians on the origin of the name hobo, but ho-boy was the most agreed upon name from the online sources I came across. Did you all know that at the height of the hobo heydays, there is some evidence that a hobo code was created? Since many hobos were illiterate, they developed a system of signs, scrawled on fence posts and train crossings and bridges, um, almost kind of like a a high-level graffiti to communicate information to fellow travelers. Like a picture of a bird indicated a free telephone, a cross signified a free meal if you profess religious belief, You can find some of these drawings online, and and it turns out that back then these drawings 
which, like I said, look like graffiti, were dated as well. That was the custom to date your drawing. The hobo code may have also extended into etiquette for those hobos traveling the rails. They did not break into boxcars. It was considered rude and disrespectful to the people who ran the trains. And also, if you have a bunch of people breaking into locked trains, the railroad companies would increase security. Something, someone hitching a ride, probably wouldn't want around. And did you know that hobos still exist today, but in a more glorified, respectful way that helps tell their stories who weren't often regarded in more wealthy American societies? Every August, hundreds of hobos and hobo aficionados from across America gather in Britt, Iowa for the National Hobo Convention. This is also the place where the National Hobo Cemetery is. The convention has been held in this little area since 1900 when the town fathers welcomed three Chicago hobos that were looking for a new home for their annual get-together. I wondered if there were a lot of hobos in Laurel Hill back in the day, and maybe that's why the town is known for the home of the hobos. I reached out to Ann Spann, who's the director of the Baker Block Museum, which has a treasure trove of North Okaloosa County history. Check it out. Go to the Baker Block Museum. They got all kinds of artifacts, of course, like most museums, but you can also do things like research your family genealogy for free. They have they have a subscription uh, to some of those services. Anne referred me to a board member of the North Okaloosa Historical Association. Her name is Tracy Curranton. Her family's been living and working in Laurel Hill for generations. Tracy and her brother wrote a book on the history of Laurel Hill, and she has an uncle who was around during the time the town school adopted the hobo mascot in the late 1940s. My name's Tracy Curranton. My great-grandfather moved here to Laurel Hill in 1898, when the town was incorporated, he served as the first mayor. He and his brother owned a general store here, Campbell Company. And our fa family's been in this area for many generations. Actually, there probably was not a particularly large presence in Laurel Hill, simply because the railroad that came through Laurel Hill was just a short spur railroad that would just went from Crestview to Florala. It started off primarily just for transporting logs. And so it wouldn't be a railroad that people would travel along that much looking for work. Though there were plenty of people that did come into Laurel Hill looking for work at the various sawmills and turpentine camps that were around here. Yeah. But the hobos would have been more along the L&N Railroad that ran east and west across northwest Florida. Laurel Hill was founded as a... It was originally a logging camp. The Yellow River Railroad was built to access timber that was in this area so that they could then transport it to Crestview to then be transported to the larger mills that they could reach. And so it was very much a company town. It was the headquarters of the Yellow River Railroad, and which was then sold out to L&N and became a division of the L&N Railroad. The town boomed in the like late 1880s, 1890s, up through about the time of the First World War when pretty much the timber had all been cut. They turned around and sold off land as farmland after that, and it became an agricultural area. 
Laurel Hill was first incorporated in 1905, which makes it the oldest incorporated town in Okaloosa County. At one time, was the largest town in Okaloosa County. And when Okaloosa County was formed in 1915, Laurel Hill was the only town that had a bank at that time, and it became the county bank was here at the Bank of Laurel Hill. They lost out in the being the county seat because Crestview was more centrally located and was considered a better site. At that time, after that, Laurel Hill didn't really decline in population, but it didn't grow anymore. It was just a local farming area and a farming town. But it did have, you know, vibrant businesses, churches, the school, and continued that. And it's, and it's still a, you know, very community-minded area, though most of that business and all has faded away now. My brother Mark and I wrote this history of Laurel Hill so that the history would be remembered because Laurel Hill really was such an important town in the founding of this area. And the people who knew it firsthand, you know, are not around anymore. And all that history is going to be lost if we don't put it down for future generations. I grew up hearing these stories because my family had been here for years. These, these are the stories I've heard about. I, there's stories in here about the bank being robbed, and an uncle of mine was there at the time. There are stories in here about some community murders, and I grew up hearing about, you know, what happened when so-and-so got shot and all those kind of stories. And I, we really wanted to be able to share that with our community and preserve that history that goes with this community. Tracy's knowledge and love of her hometown is refreshing. I'm glad she was able to speak with me, and even though there probably weren't a lot of hobos on that Spur Railroad line in Laurel Hill that she talked about, I'm sure hobos found their way from the L&N line in Crestview to do some logging work in Laurel Hill. It sounds like hobos were looking for work all over the country. But why was Laurel Hill's mascot named after hobos, if there weren't that many hobos up there? Well, you remember I said Tracy had an uncle who was around during that time the mascot was adopted. Well, I got in touch with his daughter Susan, and she set me up to talk with her dad, Danny Campbell. I'm Danny Campbell, and I was a senior on the basketball team the year they adopted the hobo as our name mascot. It came about that we, the coach we had, just I think he was second year there, and uh, we were practicing in the auditorium or the gym. Laurel Hill was one of the few schools in the county, and even there in our classic, it had an indoor gym. But we were practicing that afternoon. And uh, I guess being after, after lunch, we were kind of dragging around. The coach got a little aggravated with us, trying to pep us up. And he, he made the remark or said, Get some pep, something to that effect, says you're dragging around like a bunch of hobos. <laughs> well, that uh, that was what got us started. We were in the process of trying to come up with a name. He was pushing us to come up with a name. So that got mulled around us. We couldn't decide on a name anyway. And after he made that remark, we decided, well, 
maybe that that was and it got talked around and uh, boy the senior class president and the star athlete was Leroy Bryan he kind of took the lead and uh, pushed that and we, and the school adopted it and that was in uh, 1948 so that's how it, how it came to be you know they've there's been some administrations that wanted to change it but uh, didn't get very far. The student bodies up there resisted it than changing the name to something more sophisticated. So I was I was a member of the team. I was there when he made that remark. There wasn't many automobiles available to the team members. We didn't have our own vehicles and all that like they do now. And uh, so we did lots, lots of hitchhiking to Furrow or the Crestview. So we thought that name kind of sounded appropriate to us and all our hitchhiking kind of hit us. So. <laughs> that's not, yeah, I guess that's not something uh, that, that kids are doing these days anymore. Um, that's, that's pretty interesting. I hadn't, yeah. heard, I hadn't heard that before. That's pretty good. We didn't, really, we didn't have any connection with the whole boat on the train. Of course, the train didn't run through Laurel Hill, but they, it wasn't a passenger service or anything like that. And it was, might have been a few hobos came through there sometime previous years. But uh, the name came about, and that's from the coach, just made that remark. And I think it's a little bit of sarcasm, and I think we adopted it <laughs> kind of in retaliation. <laughs> his comment. So essentially, uh, um, a remark, uh, uh, sarcastic remark from a coach, and the uh, a bunch of teenage boys uh, wanting to uh, kind of stick it to the man, as it were, is, is the reason that Laurel Hill is is the home of the hobos, I guess. Yeah, yes. So, and that's that's how it all came about. That's a, a casual comment that uh, was really. Well, I was kind of proud of it since I was one of the, the first team at Zobos. Laurel Hill had a hobo fest for years and was a gathering for the people who lived in the town, a relatively small affair with food, music, and games for kids. It was at events like the hobo fest and Laurel Hill School sporting events, mainly basketball, that I got my first look at the real-life mascot, the hobo himself, Reverend Mike McVeigh. He was dressed in an old suit jacket with patches sewn to look older and worn. He has a pair of overalls, a fedora hat, and the telltale stick with his hobo belongings attached to the end. Reverend Mike's also the pastor of First Baptist Church in Laurel Hill. I reached out to him on the phone to talk about why he likes playing the role of the hobo for the town and school. Well, I came here as a pastor at First Baptist Church back in... Uh, December of '04, and because of my interest has always been reaching young people, and um, I just and protecting young people, and you know just um, trying to do what I can to help them, and so I immediately got involved with the school there and supporting their activities and things and in 05 I guess it would have been well no it would have been 
either late 04, no, it would have been 05, mm. um, at the homecoming, uh, they were fixing out the homecoming pep rally. And I just, on a whim, I thought, well, I dress up as a hobo. So I called the, the coach, the cheerleading coach, who was kind of heading up the homecoming pep rally and, and talked to her about uh, the idea, and, and she liked the idea. And so I got busy and sewed me some patches on some old wore-out jeans and, and uh, fixed me up a little suit and got me a stick and, and dressed up. We planned uh, ahead of time that I would come in right at the last minute. And uh, so, because most of the kids knew me yeah, uh, by, by this time, because I'd spent time over there. So I came in, sat down on the, at the bottom of the bleachers there and kind of dropped my head. Um, I would take my boss teeth out and put on some of my wife's uh, mascara or something, whatever you call that stuff, to paint me up three or four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, growth of beard and and I sat down with my head down and kids would come by and look and and uh, pass on didn't recognize me um, so it was a pep uh, rally began the, the coach started the pep rally out and she said oh by the way we got a, uh, we need to welcome our special guest got a special guest here today uh, let's make, make welcome Hobo. Mr. Hobo, would you stand up and take a bow? And so I stood up and take a, to take a bow. And she said, uh, uh, welcome, welcome Mr. The, Mr. Hobo, a.k.a. Pastor Mike McVeigh, <laughs> First Baptist Church. And all the kids, Pastor Mike. And uh, so after the pep rally, a lot of the kids came up and, and uh, said, Pastor Mike, you going you gonna to wear that? To the game tonight, and I said, I don't, I don't know about that. Now. <laughs> and they said, Oh, come on, Pastor Mike, you got you got to wear it. And so I said, Y'all really want me to do that? They said, Yeah, yeah. So I said, Okay, if that's what y'all want, and that's it's all history from there. You know, so I've been doing it since then. So it's uh, been what. 16 years now yeah 16 that's incredible um on a a whim just decided to i guess you yeah i guess the desire uh, as a pastor to to reach kids you try to think of different ways and wonder if it was the lord putting that idea in your mind to go out there and and and, you know all the time there ain't a whole (laughs) lot of doubt in that yeah (laughs) i don't believe uh i believe it was inspiration of the holy spirit doing that because it's it gives me an opportunity to be with the kids. Of course, you know, I love the kids. I don't try to push anything on them. But I do want to be there for them and let them know that I'm there for them and I will help them and I'll protect them and I'll do anything I can for them, you know. And 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 this gives me an opportunity to do that, you know. Uh, the school is small. Um, we are K through 12. Um and usually graduate somewhere around 30 um, students, so that tells you about the size of our classes. 
it's just a great atmosphere. You know, everybody knows everybody, and which to me is is a tremendous benefit. I graduated in a large school, and you know, in a small school, you all your you know the kids know one another, and and I've watched some of our star basketball players um, just to give you an illustration over the years and and how they were they would take time to kneel down and help a, a kindergartner you know shoot the basketball um, you know not too big for the for the little kids you know because and and they they do a lot of mentoring themselves you know yeah in the uh, small school atmosphere there because they're all you know, right there together. You know, the high school's in one side of the school, but they're still passing in halls and, and interacting uh, throughout the day. We're all about basketball. Of course, we're too small. We can't, we couldn't take our whole high school and make up a football team. I mean, you know, we don't have enough students to play football, so we don't have football. Um, basketball is our primary sport, and um, although we have softball, baseball, uh, volleyball, and they're all important, but but basketball is, seems to be the the big thing, and it's very much supported by the community, and uh, and it's an exciting time. It's a serious time, you know. When we're playing basketball, it's uh, we we're we. We love it. I love it. I thank the Lord every day for letting me come to Law Hill. Reverend Mike's passion to serve his community is commendable. I hope the next time you're driving through Laurel Hill and you see the sign, Home of the Hobos, you think about Laurel Hill's history and the people who live there. And heck, maybe don't just drive through. Stop for a bite to eat at the Laurel Hill Grill. And if you want to see a good basketball game, I'm talking like a Hoosiers type of basketball game surrounded by extremely passionate fans, cross the street and watch a game at the Laurel Hill School. You won't regret it. This episode is written and researched by me, produced by April Sarver, our public information officer. Music is provided by Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com. Special thanks to Reverend Mike and Tracy Currington, and Danny Campbell for their time and stories. I also want to thank Brian Hughes, Ann Spann, and Susan Cassidy for guiding me to them for this episode. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you around town.